So as we wrap up our first year of Demand Gen U, we figured it was an awesome time to go back and look at everything that happened at Metadata this year from a marketing perspective. What went well, what went not so well, and what went terrible. So we're going to be open, honest, and transparent in the theme of every Demand Gen U episode and review ourselves of everything that went on in 2022. Demand Gen U is officially in session. Let's do it. All right. So we're starting this off and I realize that I look like basically corporate bros, stereotypical marketer right now with the Fenion and the... Like, I was just, just thinking that like horrible. a minute ago. I was like, thinking that. And <laughs> I'm, I sometimes will wear a beanie uh, at work when I sit here in my apartment, but for people who are listening, this is the day of the, the bomb cyclone or whatever it's called that's rolling across the country and fucking everything up. So uh, it's mayhem outside and my desk is right next to some windows and it's freezing right here. So let me be and let me freeze in Chicago while we record Domingenio. Well, you got the beanie on and I'm in the ponytail because I was like this morning, I don't know what happened. I usually get up at six naturally. Like I just wake up at six. This morning, it was like, and I had a seven o'clock meeting. So I was like, oh, yeah, six will be fine. I didn't get up till 635. And I was like, oh, no. And I had five hours straight of meetings starting at seven. And so I had to like, I was like, all right, it's ponytail it is. <laughs> no, I did oh, not. Oh, my in. God. <laughs> oh, man. Man buns. All right. Maybe we'll talk about that as the, uh, the, the good, bad the or the ugly. ugly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So we're going to start with the the good first, since you and I are both optimists, I'd say to a fault, but we got to start with something good here. So while we were preparing for this episode, we each kind of picked which like big accomplishments we wanted to talk through for 2022. So I think the first one that I will start with is kind of ironic because it's about doing this podcast. This was something that I had wanted to do for quite some time. We had it's kind of a throwback, but we had by marketers for marketers, which was more of a series. It wasn't a straight up podcast. And there was, you know, it was good. There wasn't a whole lot of structure behind it. It was no. just, hey, let's, yeah. yeah, like, let's do it when we can. And yeah. I think I begged you long enough to let us do this. And we did the project in, I think it was September, August, September of 2021. And banked a bunch of episodes going into January of 2022. And then we, you know, started releasing episodes weekly. So it's been, I kind of equate it to going to the gym almost. It's like a muscle that you have to keep building and it takes time. And there are a million excuses that you want to make to not go to the gym and to not record the podcast. And (laughs) because we didn't, find those excuses. I think we were all amazed that once this really started to hit its stride and take off. Yeah. And I, I can't remember why I was, was it, was I detracting because it was like, I just didn't want one more thing to do. I can't remember if I was just like, nah, or if I just didn't see like what value it might bring or maybe that was probably it. Like, is it really going to like, it was, it was more of that. Yeah. 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 And probably because I had, never really seen it. We had, two people at the time I was begging you and then we had just hired a third person. So it's like, you know how much this takes from a resource perspective. Is that something that you want to be doing with three people? That's, that's what you were evaluating. Yeah. Yeah. And the way I had seen people using podcasts was not how I wanted to do it. People were using podcasts 
of like this whole thing where, well, let's invite on the guest, but the guest is really our prospect, you know, and then we're going to make the prospect feel like warm and fuzzy and then they're going to like us and then we're going to get a chance to sell through the podcast. And I was just like, I just don't want to, I don't really want to do that. You know, I was like, that's, that's, again, if you go back to our, it's like one of our mantras, it's like, do what's right for the industry first to do what's right for marketers first and then commercial stuff happens second and so i remember i didn't want to do that um and we really started recording in september of last year no so we did the the project with then lemon pie to concept everything and then i think we first started recording maybe the first or second week of december 2021 okay yeah that makes more sense um yeah and then the other thing i remember thinking is can we really do it every week? Like, really? We need to do it every week. Are we going to have enough things to talk about? I remember thinking that, is it going to be hard? Are we going to start repeating stuff? And man, we're a year in and like, not really. I know pieces that we've talked about before and stories come in and out and that kind of thing. But generally, it's like, we've had a lot of just different topics and it doesn't seem to be, and it doesn't feel like it's been a struggle really to come up with them either. Um, And so, no, it's been great. Uh, It exceeded all my expectations. We had some light goals around it. And I think one of the other things kind of detracting from me at the time was we were doing Gil's podcast and it just didn't have traction really. And we know why, you know, we didn't do a lot of promotional efforts. It wasn't really meant for our ICP and like people that are B2B marketers. It was more around category creation and CEOs. And and so I think I was also like a little bit, that was my experience, you know, with podcasts here. It's like, that didn't really work super well. Um, But yeah, I'm super glad we're doing it. I had no idea that it would be, I had just this, I would have never guessed it would have shown up on like people's Spotify. That was weird. That was like a, that, whoa, yeah. 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 <laughs> seeing that over like multiple times and like it's second place, third, maybe first in a couple of places. That was really exciting. Never would have expected that. And then I think just because of the podcast and just some of the other posts that we do, like Mark and I both realized some, sometimes we go to places and people recognize us and it's just, it feels weird. weird. Um, and I did, it happened to me in Israel several times in Israel. And then just recently when I was in Chicago, John came, you know, came over and to the, and he wanted well, to take a picture with me and put it on LinkedIn. I was like, Oh shit. Yes. Let's do that. And it just feels kind of weird, but, uh, but I, I won't, I won't deny. I like it. You know, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. Uh, awesome. We got to keep the show on the road, so let's keep moving. So the next one that I think we want to talk through is a little more personal to you. There are downstream positive impacts from it as well, but talk about where you were at with Gil, maybe towards the, I think I forget which episode it was, but it was earlier in the year when this all took place and then where you've ended the year with Gil, because that's a, a pretty big accomplishment in itself. Yeah. Um, I had some, everybody, we're all working on stuff, right? So just because you're a VP of marketing doesn't mean you're a great VP of marketing. So even though I've been a VP of marketing for a while, there's a lot of things I I needed to fix or just change or resolve or whatever. Um, And Gil is very direct, is a very direct person about, you know, how he feels about how you work, what you do, your speed, all that stuff. And early in the year, I made a couple missteps and I actually... I recognize exactly what I did. And my old MO was the hard things or the things I didn't want to do. I would just try to avoid talking about them with Gil. And then I'd realize like, he never forgets. And so two months, three months later, he'll come back around. He'll not have said anything in between those time periods. And then all of a sudden it comes right back. And you're just like, 
oh, you remembered that shit. And I just got my hand slapped or just caught in that way too many times. And I was like, this isn't right, you know? And he really, you know, I did like a 360 with him and, you know, with the team and just got to a better sense. But he really like, you need to work on these things. It was almost to like, we got to fix some of these things or you're out. I mean, it wasn't that direct, but it was kind of like, that was the sentiment. Um, and I was like, all right, let's do this. And I banned down the hatches. I got a coach. I started working even with my counselor a little bit more on some stuff. Uh, just got very, just, I don't know, just very specific on things I wanted to work I on. I was just going to say focused. Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's what I was, work, that's what I was working for. <laughs> and would check in with Gil. Like I had a 30-day, 60-day, 90-day check-in. How am I doing on these things? Making progress. But it really wasn't until I just got more confidence in myself. And then I just realized like, okay, if I don't want to do something or I don't agree with it, I just have to address it head on. As soon as we're talking about it, I have to address it immediately with Gil. I can't let it fester or go on or just hide from it. So yeah, that plus a lot of other things that I've done or that Gil and I have worked on. Now I feel and this has really been the case for probably six months now, five months maybe, where the rhythm is just there. And I was even talking to Gil recently, just in a one-on-one, like, hey, you know, we haven't checked in on some of these things for like four or five months. How are, how am I doing? Anything else I need to work on? And his list was way shorter. And so I was like, okay, I think some of the, and then just a lot of positive com- comments too, just about um, trust and partnership and relying on me and that kind of thing. So and then that cascades down through the whole team. It's not just a benefit for me. It's if that relationship is better and I'm knowing how to manage up, which a lot of it is we're doing so many things. How many things can I actually tell Gil and explain what we're doing, how we're doing his status and just getting better about knowing what he wants, what he's interested in, um, trying to think more like he would think in some cases so I can just think ahead. And that helps the team too. So I'm not having to come back around like, well, I thought this is what Gil wanted, but he really wants this. So I think it's just helping all around. Oh, yeah. Now, I think the other thing that I would add to that is knowing and being totally on the same page around, hey, these are the top three things that he is consistently interested in. And then, hey, here's the one or two occasional shiny objects that he wants to ask questions about. That's been amazing to help the team focus, too, because I think for a while we were like, what's the list? Is he interested yeah. in this? Is he not interested right. in this? Yeah. And we were playing like this guessing game. And I think yep. we learned like it pissed him off when we didn't really know the three things that he was dead yeah. focused on. And yeah. he was like, how do you not understand that these are the three things yeah. I'm interested in? So yep. that's exactly. how my team out too. Yeah. And I think, and if our top three things weren't aligned with his, then it kind of breaks trust a little bit. He's like, well, oh, then we're not on the same page. And but yeah, I think it just helps all around. So, uh, so yeah, that's been a, a big win. So next one, and we just did an episode on this, so we don't have to talk about it too much, but it was, I think, one of the cooler things that I worked on this year, and I think we all worked on as a team, which was that Sixth Sense landing page. So why don't you talk a little bit about why you wanted that, and then I can chime in. Yeah, yeah. So the main, a couple of main things, I'll try and keep this short. One was our customer success team, and they were coming to us and saying, oh, so many of our customers at renewal time are having to make a decision between renewing with metadata or buying six cents. And we know that shouldn't be a decision you have to make. It should be like both. You know what I mean? Like, um, and so we needed some content that helped explain more about what six cents is good at and where metadata is good and how those things are com- basically can be combined together for 
a better together kind of a thing. The other one was just for net new prospects, also trying to make the same decision, which is a weird decision, you know, and that was from our perspective, like, oh, people actually happen to decide between these two, like, that's not right, because we do totally different things. And so just knowing we needed to get that story out, and it was mostly, we people just knew anecdotes. So, well, I, I think Sixth Sense is good at this, and I think, oh, but I think it's this, and we think it works like this. It was a, finally a, like a way of getting all that stuff together and formalized, and then across the company, and then you did all the work, and so... Why don't you talk about like how that came together? Yeah, I think there were a couple of things that all came together right at the right time. I think it was the story. I think it was the social proof. I think it was the copy and I think it was the design. And it was like the best combination of all of those things at once. And we'll talk about this, I think a little bit later on. But one of the things that I've always struggled with is metadata is Gil's baby, you know, his work baby. And <laughs> He has always been very attached to the design and his eye for the design. And it's not to say that he's in Figma with us, but like what he likes usually is the old way of what metadata looked like in 2015, 2017, 2019. And like we aren't gradient people. We want to push it with what we're doing and the brand and all of that. And that was the first time there where we really pushed it. And Gil said straight up, he was like, this is awesome. And I was like, can I do more of this? And he said, yes. And I was like, all right, well, I'm holding you to that. And from that point forward, mm-hmm. like we've started to push it even more. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That page. Yeah, you're right. That page gave us license to do more stuff like it. Yeah. Sweet. So last one on the good side, I'll let you start it off first, but going bigger and better with demand in year two. I didn't know that we could do that after the first year because we surprised ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, like, Unfortunately, one of the downsides of success is that then the expectations are higher. And that's always, (laughs) um, we've been dealing with that. We've had a lot of success. And then, you know, a good CEO like Gil is like, okay, great. You did that. Okay, now where can you take it? And he likes to really push on a couple of things. Not everything. Demand is one of them, though. Demand is one he really likes to push. And so I remember me, you, and Carly was helping us with uh, events. We got together early in the planning cycle and we're like, all right, we got 4,400 last year. What do we think is a decent increase this year? But a stretch, but still like doable. And I think you guys came up with around 6,500, right? Was that a number? That was exactly. And and that was like a a legit stretch goal. And I even vetted that with Devin Reed at Gong and what they were doing at Gong. Yeah, that's a 50% growth year over year. That's pretty damn good. You know what I mean? For a conference. And so, um, and I can't remember the direction, like when I presented it, it turned into 10,000. Like, it's just like, it turned in as soon as Gil saw it, it's like, okay, so probably 10,000 then? It's like, oh God, just an easy double. And actually more than double because we had 4,400 last year. So, and there was really no backing him off. But what I was able to do, at least this year is show like, okay, well, to make this happen, we need all these things to happen. And one of them was, in ad spend budget because I'm like, we can maybe get a third or a half of these through organic, but the rest we have to pay for. And just based on our ad costs and what we knew last year, this is what I think we need. Um, And part of the story is we thought we had that money from LinkedIn and we didn't. So, uh, but what we were able to do was still amazing with the resources that we did have. We we actually got to like 7,500. But that was just the registration side. So why don't you talk about the actual content and speakers and that kind of thing? Yeah, I think the 
the coolest things for me about this were I didn't really have to convince anyone for speakers in year two. It was, hey, I'd love to have you here because they already had heard about it in some way from year one. Whereas the first year I was having to really try and sell them because we didn't really, there wasn't much like, buzz around it. Right. Like, Imagine yeah. a world. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So now it was like, hey, do you want to speak at demand? They're like, yeah. And I didn't really have to sell them. So I think that was cool. And then the content, like, and we've done episodes on this before, but most people will do virtual events like for the event itself, if that makes sense. Right. And yeah, we did it to a degree, but also we create so much content from this that I haven't seen anything like the content that came out of demand at any other B2B marketing event, whether it's virtual or in-person hybrid, like whatever you want to call it. So seeing how well the content was received the day of, and then people unsolicited, like posting about it on LinkedIn, I was like, whoa, like I, I thought the content was good, but when complete strangers are posting about it and how it's helping them in their day to day, it's like, that's the coolest compliment you can possibly get. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the bad. And I think this is where I'll get a little bit more fun just because we're going to be straight up around what didn't go nearly as well. And there were plenty of things that didn't go nearly as well this year. So first one, just because it was the last one, I think most top of mind for you right now, reaching that LinkedIn conversation ad cliff. So mm. Explain yeah. what the clip is and what we learned and had to do. Yeah, so a lot of you know we've been using incentivized LinkedIn conversation ads to drive demos for a year, two years and a half probably by now. And it's worked for us with, you know, some diminishing, not returns, but like increased costs basically. But no one ever thought it would last even this long. Like we thought, oh, this may be a six month thing. It'll work for six months and then we're going to find something else. And in some analyses, like it still shows the same thing. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, it re works really well. It drives pipeline. But when we started to dig in more recently, because it was generating pipeline, but when we started digging into it more recently, like last six months, it was like, oh, shoot. Um, the ads are actually driving a lot of open, like getting pipeline to open, but it's not closing. And it's like at a very a much lower rate than any other channels. And so what happens, what happened is we'd have, we were measuring ourselves at the open pipeline and at that level, and that's pipeline. So a lot of marketers aren't even at that level yet, right? So we're like, hey, we should be pretty solid here. If we optimize the pipeline, we should be good. The behavior though was the incentivized ads would come in and still convert to pipeline at about the same rate, but then down the funnel, it just really fell off a cliff. Hence the cliff. And so we realized if we actually measured our effect on stage four or stage five pipeline, we would be optimizing ourselves probably out of this ad type pretty quickly. And so that's really what we found. Plus, LinkedIn started making some changes to the ad type that like introduced this other inbox, like a promotional inbox, basically, like all the ads started to go there. So that dropped the, the open rates. That I think accelerated it because to your point yeah, earlier, like true. we knew the clip, we knew that there was a cliff. We knew that we yeah. were approaching the cliff and then when that release came out it was like we're standing on the edge of this cliff right yeah, now like, let's get off this thing yeah yes. let's get off before it like it's fully yeah. under the water um yeah. and so that's where we're at today and we're even having we're we're trying to change some of our metrics that so we're looking at stage four pipeline and we can optimize to that and we just implemented something where we should be able to do that and yeah it's just going to tell us hey incentivize that's probably not the best way into that so yeah so next one and this was I would say of all the things that we did this year, I think this was one of the more surprising things that didn't go as planned. So 
on previous episodes, we've talked about how we're not fans of the old analyst game and how it works. More importantly, how it really doesn't work for modern marketers and how people actually buy tools. And because of that, our attitude is basically like, fuck it, like we're not going to play that game. And we had that attitude for the longest time. It was biting us in the ass. So over the summer, we finally said, hey, we're going to put some time towards this. And we are going to prepare for the Forrester, I think it was a B2B advertising platform wave. And before it was the good old college try with you and me and maybe help from one or two other people, but we didn't really get anyone else from the company heavily involved. And we said this time we are going to get more people involved. And we had Logan involved. We had Silvio involved. We had Alex Burton involved. We had, I think Gil was even more involved in this. And we truly put more time towards it. And I think we all left the submission process thinking, you know what? We feel better about this. Like one, because the effort and two, because of how everything went. And then I remember I actually just looked at the email when I was putting the outline together. Out of nowhere, we get the courtesy email of, hey, here's what the ranking is going to look like. And you forwarded it to me. And I forget who else. And you were just like, we got to figure out how to message this because we fucking bombed. Yeah. 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 That one was a surpriser because like you said, and part of what threw us off was this was the first wave of this type. So they'd never done one in the past which means you can't really see and they don't share with you who is the competitive set. You're like, who are you considering? Because they're saying, Forster's basically saying, B2B advertising platforms is a new category, even though we know it's not new. They just had never reported on it that way. It was just ad platforms and they never separated out C for B. So this was their first foray. Like, all right, we're going to do a B2B one. But because they'd never done one before, you had nothing to go back to and look at who am I competing with in this thing? Because we had no idea. We figured, okay, it's probably going to be the standard ABMers like we've done with in the past. But that was the first surprise. And we saw the competitive set. We were in there with fucking like LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn. Um, what was the other one? Be in there? Adobe. Yeah, that was the one that I was like, what? It was like, it was the most random smattering of tools that you would honestly never bake off against each other, right? So like you never say metadata or LinkedIn because it's like, well... No, because there is no metadata without LinkedIn. You know, it's like, this is a different way to run LinkedIn ads. So it was just like, they got it wrong. They got the categorization wrong. They got, and so then of course we were one of the sacrificial lambs. We didn't end up at the very end, but we were in like the challenger category or whatever lame category that is. With, but with what was, what was okay about it is like the normal ABM platforms were all in the same area really. Except I think what was Terminus or Demandbase, like way up there, or like one of the yeah. ones that nobody would actually buy was way up yeah. to the right. Which was like, okay, even more reason why if somebody opened it up, they'd be like, this is wrong. Nobody mm-hmm. buys that at that much of a different rate than six cents or demand based. So it was just, and then I challenged the, the analyst. I was like, the questions you asked were so squarely in our area. And then when we see, so when you give the response, you have no idea how they're going to score it. But then when they send them back, they tell you exactly how this is the answer would get you a four, this would get you a three. And we were looking at these answers to these questions. It just didn't make any sense. So we wrote a whole article around it and just tried to be factual about from an actual marketer's perspective, the people are actually doing marketing on the ground today, which are not analysts. This is how we see the world. This is what it looks like. Um, That was very weird, though, for me. Well, 
And then you think about, I mean, we work at a MarTech company, so we're working for the vendor that's being ranked in this assessment. When I was at my last company or two companies ago, and I would see this, I was just looking at the placement. I wasn't super focused on what the criteria is. So people that don't have time or really just want to look at who's up and to the right, they take that for what it's worth and interpret it as fact. Like they don't look and see that the criteria is skewed heavily towards display advertising. Like no one buys a tool for display advertising these days, or at least good people. So it just sucks because you know that no one's as close to the criteria or cares as much about the criteria as we do. And it just gives our competitors some FUD to throw against us. Yeah. And like you just mentioned display, which also I was like, yeah, display was such so woven through all of these and yet linkedin is way at the top i'm like linkedin is not even a display platform like how are they even ranking on these display questions is it their audience network like it was really confusing so we just threw it on the side we put an article out there one of ourselves perhaps i remember you remember he got us in trouble like basically putting it out there like people thought we sounded defensive and all that so i was like whatever we're over it uh one thing I'm not over because I still get PTSD when I think about it is the press conference and launching the category in March and how that went. So why don't you get it started and then I'll relive all of my PTSD. Yeah, so we've been trying to create a new category for a year and a half and some change. Ever since basically I started and it was like, we can't be associated with ABM platforms because it's not what we are. Um, and last fall, we started working formally with dg and gill and you and i on the narrative it's like okay great we got dg consulting for us right now he's great at narratives and storytelling he sees this from an outsider's perspective he'll help us create this story took months right of like meeting weekly we're talking through it um come to a pretty good place and they're like cool we got a narrative <laughs> what do we do now like none of us had ever created a category and so and then DG, he's got a lot of ideas, you know what I mean? But when Gil hears those ideas, Gil isn't deciding between the ideas. Gil's like, yes, to all of them. You know what I mean? He's like, yes, we do that. And then I think DG's thinking like, here's a bunch of things you could do. You wouldn't do all of them, but like these, you know, choose one of these. And Gil's like, yes, <laughs> all of that. You have to be so and careful what you suggest to him as an idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, so you have to preface it, very preface it like, we probably can't do this with today's yeah. resource. <laughs> what do you think of this? Um, and so somehow we, oh, oh, I remember. Yeah, we were getting a Series B at the same time. And we were like, hey, wouldn't it be a great idea if we used our new narrative and didn't really focus on the Series B, but kind of like, hey, we're using the Series B to basically build out this new category, which was we have the narrative around. And... The problem was we just didn't give ourselves nearly enough time on that. We had like V.5 of the narrative, you know what I mean? And then the major problem was we were, we we're talking about future product that we didn't have even defined. We didn't even, we hadn't even talked about the strategy of the product that far out. And we had about a month or six weeks, I think, to like basically have the product strategy for the next five years, figure out what a marketing operating system is, what it contains have screenshots of like the five years in the future version of it, which were so hard to come by. And then no, also screenshot period. is the wrong word. They were literally Photoshopped like yes. mock-ups of what it like. Yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> Screenshot implies yeah. it exists. Oh, vaporware. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Just design <laughs> screens, basically. Yeah. And then the last thing is I didn't really know what a press conference was. I was like, is this like a police thing, you know, or like a, an NBA star has come in saying they're out of the team. You know, I don't know. What does this look like? And so that was my other challenge. And so talk about it from your perspective. Like, how did it look? Yeah, I think to this day, I think it's still an interesting idea if there was more prep time and more importantly, more internal education first. And what I mean by that is we did the press conference. We trained people at the 2022 kickoff like three weeks after the press conference. <laughs> so then we're announcing things to our audience at the end of the day. And our internal team isn't like, this is the first time that they're hearing yeah. about it. There were people in the chat that were saying, when is this going to be released? When is my metadata instance going to look like this? And we're like, That's right. we're not even prepared to answer those questions. So like I think, what? yeah, right. like, what are you talking about? Like, we just whipped that up in Figma last night. Like, I think the idea is still interesting. I think what I did like about it was the notion of using your fundraising announcement to yeah. not really announce the fact that you fundraised. It was a small little blip in the announcement. It was more around the category. So yeah. the execution of it was bad. I still think it's an interesting idea to do again at some point, uh, just with a little bit more time. Yeah, it was like a press conference means you have questions from the press usually, you know what I mean? Yeah. We don't have any questions from anybody. And like, yeah. we tried to get analysts and we had a couple, we did get, we did get some analysts there. We got actually somebody to write about it on the press, I think on, I can't remember what outlet, but mm -hmm. not a major one, but it was still, um, yeah, like you said, interesting idea could be executed better had we had more time. Yep. All right. Now we're on to the probably least fun section, which is the ugly. So what went, I would say terribly wrong this year. So first one, just because it's probably the most significant of getting our budget cut by what, 30%-ish, maybe a little more? 35 probably, yeah. yeah, when it really comes down to it. It was across two different events, I guess, Yeah, you could say. Not the fun and, kind of event, yeah. Yeah, right. And yeah, I remember like hearing wind of it. And I remember my original thought was, nope, not me. Because we're hitting our goals. I'm like, not us. We're hitting our goals. So we're going to keep getting funded. Well, nope, that wasn't the case. It was actually like, oh, Jason, you guys have hit your goals every quarter. So you probably have more resources than you need. And it's like, oh, God, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, and so I remember when I got, I remember even before, oh, I remember what happened. Gil and our CFO talked about an average amount across the company that we were going to have to take out. So I remember I left that meeting. I was like, okay, that's actually doable. I'm like, that's doable. I'm like, I can take out that percent and be cool. Well, what I didn't know is I was carrying the brunt of that average percent across the whole fucking company. It was me and sales, of course. And so ours looked more like 25% in that first round. And I remember, I think I was thinking in my mind like 10. And I remember thinking like, nope, there's no, no. Just no. Um, and I was a little emotional. I had to like get myself together. And then you try and do as much as you can. What the luxury we have in marketing is not all of our money goes to people, you know? And so you do have the ability to look and across. And at least I had that luxury from leadership from Gil. Like, no, you make the decision. I just need this percent. You figure out how to make it happen. 
So I was like making, I was horse trading. I was like doing all, every possible scenario I could, trying to like pitch to our CFO and get him to like really buy in, like, no, I can make this happen. So yes, it was a bad thing. But at the same time, I can say, probably I, I've saved at least one to two people's jobs too through some of that like yeah. horse trading and fuzzy marketing mask. <laughs> Jim, I hope you're not listening to this. Um, and uh, we will see if Jim listens because this episode, because by doesn't he ask, but yeah, let's keep going. <laughs> uh, that's what you think. Uh, yeah. Now someone's going to tell him. <laughs> tell him either, <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, I never lie, but I, I'm basically making commitments that it's hard to know if we can make it happen or not. But, you know, that we all do that anyway when we're goal setting and forecasting. But these were pretty aggressive. You know, it's like, yep. hey, we're going to be pretty aggressive. But I'd rather do that way than just be like, give up. It's almost like I feel like the other way is like, just give up and give up headcount and give up, you know. So, yeah, that was ugly. And then with the fact that we had to do it twice, you know, I had to do basically two rounds of layoffs was not mm -hmm. great either. And they were really close back to back, which is not great from a morale perspective either. No. Because then that really set the whole team off, not just marketing, but the company nervous, anxious, that kind of thing, which is not great. Yeah. And I think the looking back, I don't know what we could have done differently. And I say that in a kind of a patting ourselves on the back kind of way, because this is the closest that I've been to planning for this sort of thing. And before at my last company and previous companies, I had to crunch numbers, but not necessarily scenario plan, because I don't think the previous people that were leading marketing that I worked for were scenario planning. I think it was just like, hey, we're going to chop X percent off the top. It's going to go there. It's going to go there. And it's going to go there. And that's it. Whereas here, like we were literally planning for every possible scenario. Like what if we cut all this spend and try to keep every single person yeah. What does that look like? What if we cut a little bit of spend and one less person? Or what if we go more people and keep all this spent? Like there were so many different scenarios that were planned. Um, yeah. And it took a lot of time. But looking back, I respect the way that we like went about it. And uh, it sucked. No way around it. Yeah, no, I think we made the best possible scenario out of what we were handed. Yeah, for sure. I feel good about that. So good segue into the next ugly part of this past year. So we go through all of that planning and then now you've got to start to plan for pipeline and revenue with the new normal. And the reality is there's no new normal that you can use in terms of historical data because none of the historical data works anymore. So yeah. Yeah. let's talk through that. Yeah, and it's, we're... We've been very good at demand planning from the beginning because I have an ops background. We have really good data people. We keep our data house in pretty good order. So we got really good at demand planning. So where we were hitting within our, we were hitting within 3% of our goal every single quarter. And that's pretty, that's pretty accurate. But then recession hits and people are behaving differently and your historical data no longer actually matters even because you're just seeing trends that, your historical data doesn't predict. And we've only been selling in this way since really the pandemic, which everything since the pandemic has been up to the right for most people. So that's what we knew. That's what the historical data said. Then we started to see like sales slowing down. We started seeing later stage conversion rates go down. Then it was like, oh, shoot. Okay. And 
Gil likes to plan very conservatively. So like we like to plan worst case scenario and let's try and hit that worst case scenario, which has helped us meet our goal every single quarter. Well, we thought we were planning worst case scenario these last couple of quarters. And what has turned out to be, it's like that actually wasn't the worst case scenario. And that makes it really hard. So um, we're like, well, we think that the conversion rate is only going to go down 2%. Well, it went down 5%. You know, I was like, oh my God, that's a big difference when we're looking at just like a close rate, for example. So we're having to do more. <laughs> also, just because it's fresh in my mind, we also found that out well past, I think, the halfway yeah. point in the quarter. So it's not like yes. you're finding out about how much more pipeline you need to generate in the first week of the quarter. It's like, exactly. hey, we're almost seven, eight weeks in, and now we're just finding out about it. Yeah, because also in the past, churn was predictable and close rate were predictable. Both of those now are unpredictable. So our churn rate is unpredictable. We just don't know. And it's really based on what conversations are our customers having with their leadership team. Like, are they getting their budgets cut? And if they are, then that's going to trickle down to us. Maybe, maybe not. And it's just, it's, it's, there's no like looking at data and be like, oh yeah, I know exactly what's going to happen anymore. And so we just had to get, we'd had to put more time into more real time planning, I guess I'd say, which is, okay, we're halfway through the quarter. Let's see, what have we been able to deliver? What is the gap? Can we shift? And we're trying to be like in the past quarters, we've been able to set a goal and just manage to it. And if you hit it, you got your bonus. If you didn't, you wouldn't. But now we're having to be a little bit more flexible because we're like, hey, we know all the teams are working their asses off to make this work. We just know the data is not as, we just can't really trust the data. So we're trying and we're making these things work based on the models we built. We're doing that thing, but then we're realizing that's not even enough. So at the leadership level, we're still, we're making sure that, okay, let's not, hold people hard and fast to those original quarter bonus numbers. Let's be flexible in that. And like, we just, we technically didn't qualify for our bonus last quarter, but I was able to get 50% of it paid out. And so we're trying to like, cause imagine that like your team is used to all these successes in their job. And now those get kind of taken away. And then also your bonuses get taken away too. Like, it's just like, Oh my God, mind blown. And we have good marketers that I don't want to like go looking for jobs other places just because we don't know how to get our shit together. But I don't anticipate, I don't know what, every time I'm looking at it, like, okay, well, that wasn't the worst case scenario. So now we got to go back to the drawing board and figure this out. It's just, and if anyone else listening is going through this, like, this is normal. Don't stress out about the fact that you can't, you're not goddamn Nostradamus. You know what I mean? You're not like out there making predictions that actually have, nobody can predict what's going on right now. You even see like Benny Hoff, you know, even saying they're not even giving future guidance into next year for Salesforce, who has more, more data and like science resources than anybody. They, they won't even predict like, that, where so they're going to end up. That, um, when I saw that, I, up until that point, I was very stuck in my own head thinking like, this is a metadata problem. Like I know other companies are struggling, but like, we really have it bad. What are we doing wrong? What can we do differently? And then when I saw that news come out, I immediately thought, whoa, this is way more serious than I already thought that it was. I knew that it was serious, but if the software company, like the cloud mm -hmm. software company that everyone talks about, there's a zillion case studies on, if they're not even going to be predicting, you know, how the next few quarters are going to be playing out, like it's really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thank goodness he came out and said that, right? Because he could have been like everybody else and just coming out with numbers that he knows is bullshit but helps a lot of other people out. Like if Salesforce can't even figure it out, okay, phew, let's yeah. give ourselves a little bit of relief here. Yeah. 
And then we're coming up on time, but last one. So on the topic of numbers not working out, why don't you talk about some MDF numbers that we were pretty lucky and fortunate to have oh. and maybe took for granted, dare I say, until they were <laughs> maybe, uh, yeah, taken yeah, from yeah. us? Yeah. Um, so if anybody doesn't know what MDF is, market development funds, it's usually like big, big companies like your Microsofts and your Salesforces. They actually have budget in their partner programs or their marketing programs to just give partners to, to use to market their stuff. And usually it's partners that will help them as well. And that's our relationship with LinkedIn. Like when we get a new customer into metadata, their LinkedIn spend goes up quite a bit. LinkedIn likes that. And so they they work with us as a partner and they offer us these MDF funds. I'm not going to say nearly, I'm not going to talk about how much they are. It's considerable for us as a startup. It is a considerable amount of money for us. Material. <laughs> I remember the, the day that you found out about this and we were crunching numbers oh. in a Google sheet and we were like, whoa. Oh my God. I was like ecstatic <laughs> beside myself. I thought this is the biggest win I've had probably in this company, like getting this many, you know, this much funds in that we can spend. Um, and then link. LinkedIn, just like everybody else, is not making their numbers, probably. And so they have to make some hard decisions and they had to cut off this program. Now, I will say that our partner manager is amazing and she's really tried to help us out as much as possible. We've kept some of it, but really the demand part was a hard part for us because we were expecting to have a decent investment from them. And we didn't, and we didn't find out about it until I think a month before the event. And we'd already had already leaned over my skis and spent some of it again. Cause I was just like, I don't say I wasn't being led on. Cause like they thought they were going to, and all of a sudden their leadership, basically they, they were, and we'll see if Jim and Liz listens to demand Gen U, but like <laughs> Liz was equally as surprised when this all happened yes. too. So it's not oh. like we were not being made aware of everything that was going on. Like she found out about this for the first time too. So this is yeah, not- Yeah, we were not okay. being strung along. Yeah, yeah, we were definitely not being strung along, but it was just a lesson for me that, because we didn't go out and get any other sponsors because we were like all eggs in one basket. That was a really a learning experience for me as, oh shoot, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Because what we did in three weeks to get sponsors for demand was nothing short of amazing. We basically made up what we needed to make up in three weeks or four weeks. And so then I was like, oh man, we're not as beholden to this. So it actually gave me a little, a lot more comfort that, okay, we, yeah, we can probably get by without this. And it also showed me this power of our brand, even according to other companies and other people, they want to be associated with us and they actually spend money to be associated with us. And so, yeah, no more all eggs in one. <laughs> So I think that's the perfect endpoint for this episode. This was way more fun than I thought it was going to be because it was a roller coaster talking through all of these things that went great, not so great and horrible. So I think overall, all things considered, it was still a very good year for what we're doing. And I think a lot of really good things to keep building on for 2023. So can't wait to do the same episode next year. Yeah, I mean, even if the recession is happening and we're not growing as fast as we are, we're still doing amazing marketing. And that's what I keep reminding the team is like, we're doing great marketing. We can still keep doing really good marketing, even if things aren't selling like they were before. Uh, let's just keep doing great marketing. So that's our commitment. We'll keep <laughs> Love that. Alrighty. Thanks everybody for demanding you. Thanks everybody. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. 
If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use Metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.